This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Thank you for joining me today as we continue our studies here on Bible Studies with Russ. We're picking up today in Revelation chapter 13. I do thank you for being here with me. I hope you have enjoyed our Bible study so far. And as I try to make mention of every time, if you have a question, comment, or a concern, you can do that. You can leave that uh, on our Facebook page, Bible Studies with Russ. Or you can contact me through the Bible Way Media website, BibleWayMedia.org. Okay, so let's pick up today, looking at Revelation chapter 13. Uh, we may get into chapter 14, I'm not sure, but we'll just see how far we go. I uh, try to have a definite stopping point if I can at the end of a section or end of a chapter. So we'll see uh, how far we get today. Alright, so Revelation 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Then I stood on the sea... Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now, as we look at this here, we, we've we noticed here the horns, the crowns, all these things, the seven horns, or excuse me, the seven heads rather, represent the head powers of the empire. empire. The ten horns usually indicates power. The ten crowns on his on his horns, these represent the sovereignty of the kings over man. This description combines brutality, ruthless power, and evil in this world. The first application of this is to the Roman Empire, a symbol of a world utterly opposed to God. We also are reminded of Daniel seven verses seventeen and verse twenty three. Verse, Daniel 7, verse 17, and verse 23. Uh, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings that shall rise out of the earth. As quoted there, uh, you have the Babylonian, you have the Medo-Persian, the Alexandrian, and the Roman Empire. Beasts are common in apocalyptic literature. This, and then, indicates a persecuting government. His work is blasphemy, is blasphemy uh, verses 1, verse 5, and verse 6. Some older versions say he stood, referring to the dragon, which is Satan. Instead of saying I stood, it says he stood. Looking at verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So this is a figurative description representing the qualities of the beast. In Daniel, there are four beasts. Here, there is one beast with four qualities. The source of his power, it is given to him by Satan. Notice that this beast thinks he has what the devil offered at one time to Jesus in the great temptation back in Matthew chapter 4. This is exactly what the devil offered Jesus if he would bow down and worship him, which is Satan. Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. This death blow that the beast recovered from is often referred to the death of of Nero in the end of the Roman Empire. However, there always seems to be another evil to take the place of the last one. Thus the wound is healed. Verse 4, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? There in verse 4, For the same reasons men today always seem to be thrilled to worship the power that stands behind their evil actions. Looking at verses 5 and 6, 
And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. As the Roman Empire became proud, he became blasphemous and haughty, much as the Assyrian king had done in Hezekiah's time, back in Isaiah 37, verses 8 through 12. The Romans did not realize their acts of barbary and destruction would fall back on them. The name of God and his dwelling in Jerusalem meant nothing to them. Many commentators believe the 42 months referred to the period of duration of the war against the Jews, which culminated in A.D. 70. Looking now at verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given to him, uh, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So the Romans would be allowed to persecute God's people and to conquer them, though their victory would be short-lived. Looking at verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So all those who are not God's children would not submit uh, to Rome's uh, dictate and would worship and would worship the emperor. We know this is not teaching predestination, but rather that it was predetermined before the world began that Christ would shed his blood for the sins of all mankind, 1 Peter 1, verses 19 and 20. A more accurate translation would read, Every one of whose name have not been written in the book of life was slain, that was slain for the foundation. Uh, sorry, let me go back and read that again. I messed up that phrase. A more accurate translation would read, Every one whose name has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So we refer to this sometimes as the Lamb's book of life. And so those who are not Christians will be those who would give in to Rome and, and worship the the emperor, uh, who who would set him, who treated himself and called himself basically a god. Looking at verses nine and ten, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into cap, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. So a warning is an order for the persecuting powers. It's also a word of hope for the Christians. Those who busy themselves in the persecution of God's people will themselves be destroyed. This is a message of Paul to the Thessalonians in Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 6. Now in verses 11 through 18, I have here the second beast or the beast from the land. Some Bible headings say the beast from the earth. Looking at verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This beast represents any governmental, political, or religious power of the world, of the world itself who teaches false doctrine. You can compare this to Ephesians 6 and verse 12. We find there against principalities, powers, rulers, dark, rulers of darkness. We are familiar with this type of language, like a lamb, but speaking as a dragon. Matthew 7 and verse 15. Looking at verse 12. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So the beast work. He has the power of the first beast. He influences the world to worship the first beast. In the first century, in the first century emperor worship existed with its attached priesthood, its shrines, and images. People were required to pray before the emperor and offer incense and worship him. 
incredibly they're doing the same, doing what they should be doing to God, and, uh, at least in the Old Testament times, but now they're doing it to these emperors. The true prophet takes orders only from the true God, but this false prophet acted as the interpreter and servant of the first beast, not in terms of a person, but a system which seeks complete loyalty to itself and the first beast. As with the first beast, whenever those in charge die, there are always others to take their place. Looking at verse 13, uh, verses 13 and 14, he performs great signs so that even so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast, which is wounded by the sword and lived. The beast description we have here, his, he is pictured in terms of great wonders, signs, and miracles, and so on. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 9, we find this beast represents false religion, false faith, and false Christs. The terminology used here is very much like used uh, false teachers in Matthew twenty four twenty four, that says that they would uh, that says that that says what would happen before the destruction of Jerusalem. Verses fifteen and sixteen, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause many and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. If you remember, during the height of the hysteria concerning the uh, pandemic and the vaccines, I won't get into all the things concerning that, but there were some who might say were extreme and would view that as a mark of the beast if you got the vaccination. Uh, I'm not going to say anything else about it other than that, but... uh, there are all the always extreme views like that. In fact, I remember back when during 9/11, when those events transpired, the number of planes and things. Some said that that was the four horsemen, and so on. And so you hear all kinds of things being misapplied. Obviously, well here uh, we have these uh, this mark of the beast, and I've heard numerous things over the years. Maybe you have as well concerning this mark of the beast and what it is. Well, it's simply the idea here that this mark of the beast is the idea that you hear in, in context. It's about, you, you know, those who worship the emperor receive this mark. Well, the mark of the beast is reference. It's just a way of saying those who uh, who are worshiping anything other than God. It's not a literal mark as we would think of it today. Uh, but you could think of it in the sense that those who worship uh, worship someone besides the one true God, no doubt God has marked them out. Looking at verses... Um, 15 and 16. Um, Verses 15 and 16. He was granted power to give bread to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark in their right hand or on their foreheads. The beast influence. His influence is worldwide, including all stations of life, all circumstances, affecting every aspect of man's being. Archaeology has brought to light certificates of proof of emperor worship. Certificate of proof of emperor worship. Uh, one book, I think it's pronounced here Desmond's book, says seals which were stamped upon documents had the image of the emperor in a year and year of his reign, and these were necessary to buy and sell. 
you know that I can see where people get this idea because there were some who were saying uh, back during again back during the height of the pandemic that you know a person doesn't haven't been vaccinated shouldn't be allowed to go out to buy things. I've heard that before. Uh, no doubt many were applying that to the mark of the beast. Well, you can see where they get that idea, but that's not what we're that's not what we're talking about uh, uh, for us today. It's not the same thing. Um, Eubius. I think I don't know if I said it correctly. And AD 177 describes Christians of France. These could not go to bathhouses or to market or buy or sell or so on without the proper seals. They had to worship this emperor if they were going to do anything. And how ridiculous it is. Look at verse 17 and 18. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has a mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Notice how that fits with some of this history we just talked about. Here is wisdom, verse 18 says, Here is wisdom, let him who has an understanding calculate the number of the beast, for is, for is the number of a man, his number is 666. And how many times we have seen people freak out at a cash register when it comes up $6.66. I've had people say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll add a penny, we'll take a penny. It's just a number. And it does not refer to some horrible thing that's going to happen to us because of this number coming up. Many have been said to be this beast, as we look at verses 17 and 18. Mohammed, the popes of various times, Napoleon, and so on, have all been declared the beast at one time or another. If seven is a symbol of perfection, then six represents a deceit, a sham, that which appears to be perfect, yet falls, falls short of perfection. There it is. That's all 666 means. It falls short of perfection. So what falls short of perfection? This number given to this, given to this beast, there in verse 18, calculate the number of the beast, where it's the number of a man, his number is 666, he falls short of perfection. That's all that means. Uh, three is a symbol of, the, of divinity in Hebrew and Greek. Unlike the God, Godhead composed of three, the beasts are only two in one number. The number of the beast is symbolic of a counterfeit deity. This characterized the Roman emperor. Thus, 666 represents imperfection and false deity. That's all that means, a false god. That's all it's referring to. Uh, we have no reason to be afraid of those types of things, and people freak out about that. And, and meantime, you know, <laughs> the grocery store line is not a very convenient place to have a Bible study, but uh, I tell people, you know what, it's just a number, it's not a big deal, and I'll move on from that. But anyway, uh, chapter 14. In chapter 14, uh, you begin the seven visions of Christ in chapter 14. And of course, we also know what comes up in chapter 14, the 144,000. That number that so many people believe represents the, the number, uh, the, the amount, the sole number of people are going to be saved in the world. Well, how ridiculous. That would mean that God's saving power is limited, wouldn't it? It would mean that, hey, what if we're not 144,000? It means no matter what we do that we're not going to go to heaven. Well, as we think about that, logic tells us that just cannot be the case. Let's look at uh, Revelation, not Romans, Revelation chapter 14. Uh, the first section, the Lamb and the 144,000, verses 1 through 5. There are uh, several short sections in this chapter. There is anticipation of the triumph of the redeemed and judgment upon the wicked. There's an, there is an initial scene of the Lamb with the 144,000 on Mount Zion. All the other oracles are connected with the six angels to proclaim and carry out the judgment, and there are promises made to the faithful. 
There is a reassuring picture of the Lamb in the midst of the church, particularly after the vision of the two beasts and their attack against God's people. As we look at verse 1, the Bible says, Then I looked, and behold, a Lamb sitting on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred and forty-four thousand, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. Revelation 14, verse 1. The redeemed are with God. They are a part, or they have been a part, of the world affected by Satan. They have been tormented by the work of the two beasts back in chapter 13. This must be a source of great comfort to the Christians reading this book. There stands a lamb on the Mount Zion, triumphant and glorious, and all the gods redeemed are with him. John explains these belong to God. They have the Father's name written on their forehead. This means they have the seal or stamp of God. This is what makes it apparent that they belong to God. This is whatever faithfulness it this is whatever faithfulness it took to make one particularly belong to Christ. As we look here next we find uh in the New Testament in contrast to Mount Sinai it is it is Mount Zion to which we have come, the heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews twelve verse twenty two. In a figurative sense, the 144,000 is actually a representation of the whole body believers of God on earth. It's not to be literal, just like all the numbers we've looked at already have not to be literal. The 666 we saw in chapter 13 is not a literal number. But this is just a representation of the whole body of faithful, not an actual number, 144,000. As you look at verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. As we look at verse 2, this voice is portrayed in figurative language. These figures emphasize and represent the strength, beauty, and joy of the triumph of the redeemed. As we look at verse 2, he says here that John heard a voice from heaven. He describes a voice as it was as the voice of many waters. He said it was as the voice of great thunder. He said it was as the voice of, of harpers harping with their harps. So notice this in verse verse 2. He said it was as the voice of many waters. He did not hear many waters, but it was as the voice of many waters. He said it was as the voice of great thunder. He did not hear thunder, but he says it was as the voice of great thunder. He said it was as the voice of harpers harping with their harps. He did not hear harps. In the original language uses the uh, identical, same identical language as the King James here. Uh, but no doubt these things, as we look here in verse 2, are figurative as many waters, like the voice of many waters. The New King James says, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And the New King, New King James says, I heard the sound of harpist. When, as we look at the King James, says, I heard the the voice of harpers harping with their harps. This is not meant to be literal music in heaven. And think about this, even if there was instrumental music in heaven, it doesn't change anything we do here on earth, does it? No, it doesn't. Look at verse 3. Then they sing, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could, could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Notice here, look at verse 3, the, these people have been purchased out of the earth. The, these, then, are the redeemed. Notice they sung, a, as it were, a new song. It does not say they played anything. Going back to verse 2, right? Well, 
It doesn't say those who heard that new song were, were, were those who sang that new song were playing anything. Um, nobody could learn that song except those who were saved, the redeemed, or the purchased. This is to say the 144,000, so I want to make this number literal. Think of what this would do. According to Revelation 7, the 144,000 are Jews. Therefore, no one but Jews would be in heaven. Revelation 14 says these are men, therefore no women will be in heaven. The same chapter says these men have never had sexual relations with a woman. So if it is, this is literal, it eliminates most of us, including those who, who, who make uh, such arguments. This is a new song. These are people who have been purchased out of the earth. These then are the redeemed. These saints are identified in five different ways in this and the following verses. In verse 3, they have been purchased from the earth. In verse 4, they have not been defiled but with women. In verse 4, they follow the land wherever he goes. In verse 4, they were purchased from among men. In verse 5, they, ha they had not been teachers of falsehood. Looking at uh, Revelation 14 and verse 4, the Bible says, These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the land wherever he goes. These were redeemed from, from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So these are further described as virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They are redeemed or purchased or bought from among men. They are the first fruits to God and the Lamb. Um, looking at verse 5. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before, before the throne of God. In their mouth was found no, let's look at verse 5, the, um, reading from the New King James, in their mouth was found no deceit or guile, for they are without fault before the land, throne of God. In their mouth was found uh, no deceit, this means no falsehood came from their teaching. Further, it may involve the fact that they would not confess Caesar as Lord, uh, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Uh, the present uh, text simply says uh, they are un. Some translations say they are unblemished. Uh, Jesus was offered as a lamb who was without blemish or spot. First Peter one verse nineteen, Isaiah fifty three verse nine. Being holy and without blemish is the divine standard that that this background has set for the church. Ephesians five and verse twenty seven. In verse six and following, we have the second section regarding the first angel. Looking at verse six. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of, of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So the way to prepare for the end of all things is through preaching, believing, and obeying the gospel. It is the church's responsibility to preach the everlasting gospel uh, to them that dwell on the earth, and so on, as it says here, means to every earth dweller, uh, the first angel has a gospel to proclaim to a sinful world. There are blessings only to those who respond to God's call. The message of the angel is clear, as we'll see in verse 7. Revelation 14, verse 7 says, Sing with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. So, as we look at verse 7, we find again... Uh, the angel is proclaiming this sin this message to the sinful world. So we look at verse 7 here. Uh, fear God. This means to have reverence to respect for God. Give glory to Him. If we respect God, will you give Him glory? And the reason is stated because the hour of His judgment is come. He is worthy to be worshipped because He made heaven and earth, the sea, and the, and 
the springs of water. Some translations say the fountains of water. This worship is in contrast with the beast. Uh, you can compare Paul's appeal to the Gentiles to worship God back in Acts 14.15. There's nothing in verse 6 and 7 that would remotely make this represent an angel flying over the state of uh, New York depositing some tablets which Joseph Smith found and translated and published for the Mormon church. Uh, some uh, no doubt adhere to that false teaching and no doubt that is not supported in scripture. Uh, we're going to stop there for today. When we come back next time, we're going to pick up with the second angel there in Revelation 14 and verse 8. Uh, we have a lot more to look at. No doubt as we have uh, made it roughly uh, halfway through here uh, in the book of uh, Revelation, a little over uh, well, over halfway. Uh, but a lot more to be said here in chapter 14 and the following chapters, a lot more uh, figures of language and figures of speech. And so we'll be looking at those further. But we're going to stop there for today. Again, if you have any questions, comments, uh, concerns, you can message me through the Bible Studies of the Rust Facebook page or send me a message through BibleWaveMedia.org on the Contact Us page. I do thank you for listening and hope to see you again next time. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.